Welcome to the Bedford Alliance Church Foundations Podcast. I'm Luke Cugino, your discipleship pastor and host. This weekly podcast is designed to accompany your discipleship group and help you build a strong foundation in the Christian faith. We want to equip you so you can be unleashed to obey Jesus' command to make disciples. We want to make Jesus' final words our first work. Hello and welcome back to the Foundations Podcast. Now for this week, what we're going to do is we're going to wrap up the story of Scripture. Okay, so we're going to talk about Revelation, but just briefly. And then what we're going to do is we're going to recap the story as well. Okay, so we're not going to get into as many details as I know some of you want for the book of Revelation, at least not in this particular episode. But I think sometimes we get so caught up in trying to understand all the little details of Revelation that we can miss the bigger picture. So I I want us to focus on more of the 30,000 foot view to focus on the story, the bigger picture. And then we're going to go full circle and recap the entire story that we've talked about so far and, and see how it all fits together. Okay, so the book of Revelation, let's talk about this a little bit. Of course, it's the the last book in the Bible. Now, just to give you a little bit of context, it was likely written near the end of the first century AD during Emperor Domitian's reign. He was emperor of the Roman Empire. And Domitian, he wanted people, he wanted his subjects to refer to him as Lord and God. Now, obviously, Christians had a little bit of an issue with that. And since they refused to do that, they faced heavy persecution during this time. And that included the Apostle John. He was exiled to the island of Patmos, and that's where he wrote the book of Revelation from. He was being punished for his faith. And he addressed Revelation, which is a letter. He addressed it to seven churches in the province of Asia. And he's really writing to encourage them in the midst of persecution and suffering and false teaching. Okay, so keep that in mind. That was really his purpose for writing. He's trying to comfort and encourage Christians who are going through some extreme persecution and suffering. So it's not necessarily written to give us every last detail of the end times or to answer all the little questions that we have. It's mainly written to give believers hope and to encourage them to stand strong till the end. Now, Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, really gives us kind of an outline of the book. Jesus tells John in this verse, Therefore, write what you have seen, what is, and what will take place after this. Okay, so there's three different sections to this book. First, what you have seen. That refers to John's vision of the risen, exalted Jesus. We see that in chapter 1. Then, what is, or the things that are, That refers to the letters that Jesus dictates to the seven churches the book's written to. So Jesus writes essentially seven letters to these seven churches, addressing their their strengths and weaknesses, kind of evaluating the churches. And he promises eternal rewards to those who are faithful to the end. Then the phrase, what will take place after this, that refers to John's vision of the future. Okay, this is what people normally think of when they think of the book of Revelation. This is from chapter 4 onward. Now, many Christians have interpreted the book of Revelation differently over the years, but there are a couple things you want to keep in mind as you're reading the book. First, people usually think of Revelation primarily as, as looking to the future, but also understand that it looks back a lot too. So there are over 250 references to the Old Testament 
in the book of Revelation. And a lot of the imagery used in the book of Revelation finds its home somewhere in the the Old Testament. Now, speaking of imagery, keep in mind that this is apocalyptic literature. So John has some pretty elaborate visions and, and paints some pretty vivid pictures for us. But understand they're meant to be symbolic. Okay, so when he sees a beast with seven heads and ten horns, for example, it's meant to be symbolic of some sort of reality. Okay, it's not talking about a literal beast. Usually it's representing some sort of kingdom or ruler. Okay, so it's meant to be symbolic. And John interprets some of these images for us, some of the more important ones. But if you don't understand everything here, that's okay. All right, you're not alone. Keep the bigger picture in mind as you're reading the book of Revelation and remember the big truths here, the most important things. First of all, Jesus is going to return to earth a second time to conquer all evil and to usher in his eternal kingdom. Okay, that's that's the first thing. Jesus is going to complete his work. His kingdom is going to come in full and all evil will be eliminated once and for all. And second thing, those who believe and trust in him are going to spend eternity with him. On the flip side, those who don't believe in him are going to spend eternity separated from him. And also remember that heaven and earth are going to be united. Okay, creation is going to be restored. Heaven and earth will be united. And we're going to spend eternity on the new earth in a physical place. This is something that people often miss. They think heaven's going to be this place where we're just floating around on clouds playing a harp or something. But I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound good to me. That doesn't sound fun. We're meant to be human. We're meant to be physical creatures with bodies. But what we see in scriptures, we're going to have resurrected bodies and we're going to be in a physical place. We're going to be on the new earth, which in many ways is going to remind us of this earth, except it's going to be free from death and grief and crying and pain and diseases and sicknesses. All of that will be gone. It will be life as it was always meant to be lived in God's presence for his glory for all of eternity. So keep that bigger picture in mind as you're reading the book of Revelation and remember the main takeaway here. Remember, John is writing to Christians who are suffering. His main takeaway is that we can find hope and trust in God's sovereign purposes even in the midst of suffering. Even when it seems like Everything is crashing down around us. And many times in our world today, it does feel that way. Even when history seems like it's going in some completely random direction, we can know that God is still on his throne and his purposes will still be completed in the end. All things will be brought to their appointed end and we will spend all of eternity with him. We can have hope and we can trust him. So that's the book of Revelation. Again, I know that's not much detail, but I want to focus on the bigger picture, at least for right now. Now what I want to do is I want to recap the story. We've we've finished the story. We've gone from Genesis all the way through Revelation. Let's recap the story and let's see how it all fits together. So going back all the way to Revelation, remember, God creates mankind in his image for his glory But of course, mankind rebels. They go their own way. They decide that they want to make their own decisions instead of submitting to God. So God kicks them out of the Garden of Eden. They're separated from him. They experience spiritual and physical death. 
But instead of just giving up on humanity, remember when angels sinned, God didn't give them a second chance. But it was different with humanity. With humanity, God starts to enact a plan of salvation. He makes some gracious promises to Abraham. He promises him land and many descendants and to bring a worldwide blessing through him. And these promises that God makes to Abraham really drive the rest of the story of the Old Testament. And we see that these promises extend to Abraham's descendants, the Israelites. They become more numerous. They become a nation. God rescues Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage through Moses' leadership. They cross the Red Sea. They come to Mount Sinai and God forms a covenant there with them. But we see Israel's immediately unfaithful. Even as Moses is on Mount Sinai getting the commandments, the Ten Commandments and the law from God, the Israelites are making golden calves to worship. So we see they are immediately unfaithful to the covenant. And we also see that they don't trust God. Instead of taking the promised land as they were commanded to, they want to go back to Egypt. So God judges them. He punishes them by making them wander in the wilderness for 40 years until the entire older generation dies off. Then a new generation arises under Joshua. Joshua becomes the next leader and they take the land, they conquer the land, and they divide it up amongst the 12 tribes. But at this point, they're still pretty loosely organized and they're they're ruled by these judges who are more like military leaders. And then they fall into these repeated cycles of idolatry and sin. And then the people start to cry out for a king. Now, it wasn't necessarily wrong for them to have a king, but instead of trusting in God as their ultimate king and waiting on his timing, they wanted their own choice as king. They wanted a king now. They wanted to be like the surrounding nation. So God gives them their choice as king. That He gives them Saul, who is the obvious choice. He's the people's choice. He's the tallest, the most handsome, but he's not a very good king. Then next, the next king is God's choice, David, a man that God calls a man after his own heart. But even David, we see he commits adultery and he commits sins. Now, a couple of important things with David. Remember, God tells David that he will have a descendant who will sit on the throne of his kingdom forever. And we see that's ultimately fulfilled in the New Testament with Jesus. And also remember that David wrote many of the Psalms as well. And then the next king of Israel is Solomon, David's son. Solomon builds the temple in Jerusalem, and he initially is pretty successful. This is kind of the the golden era of Israel, so to speak. And he also writes many of the Proverbs. He writes Ecclesiastes and, and Song of Solomon. But we see that he starts to turn away from God. His heart starts to turn from God. And then Solomon's son Rehoboam takes over, and Israel splits under his foolish leadership. Remember, there are 10 tribes in the north that's called Israel, two tribes in the south called Judah. And we see this downward spiral of sin. And eventually both the northern and the southern kingdoms are taken into exile by foreign nations. Now, eventually some people are able to return to the Jerusalem area and rebuild the temple, rebuild the city, but they only do so modestly. And there's no evidence of of God's presence in the temple. So the Old Testament ends and we're left waiting for a coming king, a Messiah, who's going to come and restore Israel. Now also keep in mind, remember, the prophets write during this later part of the Old Testament story. Most of them write before the exile, a few write during the exile, 
and a few are after the exile as well. Then we come to the New Testament, and this is where Jesus comes on the scene. And he's a descendant of Abraham and David, and he fulfills the promises to both of them. He brings a worldwide blessing, and he is the eternal king, the king who will sit on the throne of his kingdom forever. He lives a sinless life everywhere that Israel and mankind failed. Jesus succeeds. He goes to the cross. He bears the wrath of God. He takes our sins upon himself. And now everyone who trusts and believes in him receives his righteousness. So Jesus dies on the cross, but he's resurrected on the third day, showing his victory over sin and death. Death could not hold him and the grave could not hold him. And then after he's resurrected, he gives his disciples a commission. He says, go and make disciples. Go and make other followers of Jesus. And then we see in the book of Acts that he sends his Holy Spirit. After Jesus ascends into heaven, he sends his Spirit. His disciples are filled with the Spirit. And we see this mission, this great commission, lived out in the book of Acts. And then really the rest of the New Testament contains letters that fill in some of the details theologically and practically as well. And then we come to the book of Revelation and we see that Jesus will come again. He is going to return a second time, but not as a baby, not as an infant, but as a conquering king. He's going to come, he's going to finish his work, and all believers will spend eternity with him on the new earth in a physical place. That is the storyline of the Bible. Now, I want to close with a passage from Revelation 21. This is one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible. It says, Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. So find hope in this amazing story of God's grace toward us. Let's find hope. We can know, we can trust, even when it seems like the world is crumbling around us. We can know that God is still in control and that his purposes will be fulfilled in the end. So let's find hope in this story and let's take as many people as possible with us into the kingdom of God. Let's live to make Jesus' final words our first work. (music) 